Repiloting can be intense. New people show up, regular shift roles, or even fall away. Season 9 of Scrubs, Zach Braff was only in the first six episodes. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're entering unfamiliar territory. I know, right? Welcome to Hyperion Heights. Welcome to Hyperion Heights. This is episode one of season seven, Hyperion Heights. And this is all new for us. We have not watched season seven, so we are going in blind. Ish. We did see the first three episodes. Okay, so we know the first three episodes. I don't remember a lot because they were kind of boring. Yeah, We remember, for example, the fact that the hook that we're dealing with in this season is not hook classic, but in fact, the best hook, old drunk fat hook. He's not hook prime. He's not hook prime. He's wish verse hook. Yes. Also, we remember that every episode ends with a super long speech. I honest to God sort of phase, I like I was paying attention to other stuff and I didn't realize Regina's speech was still going at the end. Right? Wait, so she's not referred to as Regina at all this episode. Are we going to call her Ronnie? Are we? I don't know. I don't know. This this is all unfamiliar territory. I'm honestly probably going to keep calling her Regina at least for a bit. Okay. She, she doesn't have a huge role in this episode, so... Should we just get into it? I guess we should just get into it. This season starts with the same kind of text crawl, perhaps the same text crawl verbatim as the first episode of uh, Once Upon a Time. I think the only difference is uh, it says that people were trapped in a city that had no magic. Hmm. I'm pretty sure earlier it said a town with no magic because we are not in Storybrooke anymore. We are in... Seattle. Yes, we are in a single neighborhood in Seattle. But yes, we are under a curse just as we were in season one. Everyone is a fairy tale character, but they don't remember that they are. So we open... At the close. We open at the close. We open with Henry. Henry Classic. I know, right? We can't call this one Young Henry because Young Henry is Regina's father in the flashback when he was young. Technically, that's young old Henry. Oh, okay. So this is young Henry, not to be confused with young old Henry. Yes. Okay. We have Henry, we have old Henry, we have young old Henry, and now we have new Henry. Although I'm probably going to be calling Henry, Henry, Henry Classic. Wait, which one is Henry Classic? Jared Gilmore? Jared Gilmore is Henry Classic. Young Henry. For simplicity's sake, we're probably going to be calling this new Henry, Henry Oh, I'm probably going to call him New Henry, at least for a bit. Okay. (laughs) He is New Henry. He is, but he's going to become Main Henry very quickly. Yeah. Oh, did we ever stop referring to Greg as New Greg in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? No, I don't think we did. Yeah. Hmm. Henry Classic is leaving Regina's mayoral estate. We find out from the dialogue that he's finished high school and he's taking a gap year. He's taking a gap year to hop on a motorcycle and explore various mystical realms. Yes, he's going backpacking through the Enchanted Forest on a motorcycle. This one time when I was backpacking across uh, Eastern Europe, I I was at Lake Nostos when I saw a beautiful girl, but she was crying. Is this going to be Henry's story? (laughs) Is this the story Henry uses that always gets him laid? This is how Henry ends up hooking up with Cinderella. Spoilers for later in the episode. 
different Cinderella. Yes. In fact, he tells Regina that when he returned the now-finished Once Upon a Time book to the author's mansion, he discovered a whole bunch of books. So there's a whole bunch of parallel stories. So just so you know, audience, there are a bunch of Snow Whites and a bunch of Cinderella's. So it doesn't matter that we already met Ashley. This is a different Cinderella. I do like that Henry's like, I I was going through the books in the Sorcerer's Mansion, and did you know there's a French Snow White and a Danish Snow White? And Regina's like, oh my god, really? Just what the world needs, more merry fucking Margaret's. I think it's weird that she's like, are you sure you don't want to go to college? And he's like, I'm I'm an omnipotent god being. Like, no offense to college, but I sort of have a destiny elsewhere. Smart of him. It is smart of him. And he is still, you know, the author. This is technically his job. That's true. Uh, since you say he's the author, he does bring up that he read all of these books and he wasn't in any of them. So he feels like he needs to go out and forge his own story. Mm. Then he rides off the writer on a motorcycle. And I just thought, mothers, don't let your sons grow up to be August. He has a magic bean. That's how he's getting to at least the first realm. He only has one magic bean. Okay, I really like this because it bothered me a lot that a huge part of the finale was taken up by Hook and David getting a magic bean that they don't end up using. And I like that they don't really draw a lot of attention to that fact. If you are following the show closely, as we obviously are, you can assume that's where the bean came from. But otherwise, they don't really address it. Yeah, Regina's just like, you've only got the one bean. How are you going to get back? And he, like the... 18-year-old he is, says it will be an adventure getting back. Although, to be fair, Hook's managed to get multiple magic beans. Hook. Yeah. So. He's like, Mom, seriously, if David Nolan can cross realms, I'm pretty sure I can. Also, you know, omnipotent God being. He'll just believe that he's home, and then he'll be home because he has the heart of the truest believer. Yeah. In a new realm, many years later... Just years later, Just not years later. many years later, we have been warned by listeners that time is going to get even weirder than it is in early seasons of Once Upon a Time. Apparently, there's a really big time-based twist in this show, so I'm thinking somehow this is going to be a secret prequel. I know, but I don't want to think about that too much because I don't want to get all tied up in stuff the show isn't giving us. Hmm. But yes, years later. No, what if Merlin is Henry's grandson. Oh yeah, that works. That works. So, in a new realm years later, Henry is I like how apparently this fantasy world has enough of a paved road for Henry to drive his motorbike down. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. You're right. This is this is a paved road. Like carts don't need this much pavement. Speaking of carts, Henry nearly gets into a cart accident. Uh, nearly goes full dad vid. Yeah. He manages to not hit the cart, but of course, the cart drives off the road because that's what happens when you're almost hit by a vehicle you've never seen before. 
And the woman who is driving this one-horse cart goes flying, and Henry sees that she is wearing glass slippers. Yes, okay, is it just me, or is this dress pulling, I don't know if the timeline works here, but it looks like the Cinderella dress is pulling from the live-action Cinderella movie that we didn't end up seeing. Yeah, I thought it was as well. Yeah. Definitely. And if nothing else, it's inspired by the cartoon the way the live-action Cinderella dress was. Mm. It does not look like Ashley's prom dress. No, it it looks much better than that. And the woman driving it does not have Ashley's prom hair. No. I do want to say, he sees the glass slippers and realizes this is Cinderella, but in the Cinderella story as we know it, mm-hmm. Cinderella, you know, marries her Prince Charming and becomes princess, and the shoes are a big part of her story. It would make sense if in that realm, glass slippers became a fashion thing. That is true. Yeah, so much of... Actually, so much of things we just accept as, you know, basic parts of society. White wedding dresses started as a royalty thing. Yeah, and, and specifically one one queen getting married in a white dress, and then it just became the thing to do. Yeah, so... Not us. We break trends. I didn't wear a white wedding dress. I mean, was it kidding? So <laughs> the new opening thing is Seattle. And then we cut to Seattle. Yes, we see adult Henry, new Henry, is a rideshare driver. A ride app driver. He's working for a rideshare called Swift. Swift. Which I really like. I like it as a as a bland name. Like if you're gonna do a brand X name, that I like it fine. But I'm always like, why not Lyft? Why not Uber? What are we doing here? Why are we pretending we don't know what those things are? I think it's a lawsuit thing. I mean, yeah, you don't wanna have him do something untoward in his car and then have Lyft or Uber get mad at you. You know, in The Office, you know the Dundee's episode of The Office? Oh, yeah, they had to have that thing with chilies. Yeah, they had to do the thing at the end where the employee did a talking head saying that Pam was banned from chilies for getting too drunk. And that the reason she got so drunk is that she was stealing drinks from other people's tables because chilies will not let you get that drunk. Yeah, they wanted to, they didn't want the show to imply that chilies had overserved her. And then did you see years later that, that Chili's Twitter tweeted that Pam was welcome to come back to Chili's now? They, they lifted her lifetime ban. That was nice of them. Because we live in a weird, weird timeline where, like, brands have personalities. So, anyway, Henry's working for a rideshare. And, A, I really like the song that's playing over this montage of him giving different people rides. Uh-huh. And, B, he's doing... One of those irony things where, oh, he starts out with the young lovers and then he's giving a lift to a family. When I was watching it, I was thinking it's interesting how he's picked a, a, a gig where he's exposed to all of these different people, theoretically, who all have their own stories and their own lives that they're leading. And we're just seeing like glimpses of it in the back of his car. And that that's a nice contrast for what we see next, which is him sitting at his computer completely writer's blocked. Yes. This is, I do like this take on Henry, although, my God, he has one thing written on his empty word document, and its poetic opening line goes here. Ellipsis. Poetic opening line goes here, dot, dot, dot. You can write a sophomore book that's just not very good. Oh, you know who did that? Gregory Maguire. I was going to say Lev Grossman. Are you talking about The Magicians too? Yeah, I think the second Magicians book is the weakest out of the three. Well, I don't disagree with you, but I also don't count that because it's a trilogy. Hmm. And the second book in a trilogy is always the weakest? No, no, I don't think you can count the second book in a trilogy as the sophomore book. 
Uh, I think whatever he writes next after writing The Magicians will be his sophomore book. Actually, I think The Magicians might be his sophomore book. Oh, is that true? I know he wrote something else, which I looked at but didn't end up reading. I think it was about, like, a computer programmer guy or something. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, Henry doesn't know how to write his second book. You'll remember from last week that the story, the Once Upon a Time story that we all know, was published as a book. And Henry in this timeline, has no memory of those stories being real. I do really like this take on Henry, though, as like a low to moderately successful author in the real world. I do too, yeah. I think it's a it's an interesting take. And the guy does look enough like Jared Gilmore, where I'm like, yeah, you know what, I can buy it. You know, I'm fine with this Henry. I am, I'm on board with this Henry. I have this phrase, which I used for Kirsten Stewart, and then I felt bad about it, but... After seeing uh, the Huntsman movie, uh-huh. uh, where, you know, she's supposed to be the fairest in the land. Right. Prettier than Charlie Theron, which, okay. Okay. Like, I came out of that movie and I'm like, Kristen Stewart's pretty, but she's not fairest in the land pretty. She's mall pretty. Like, she's, if you saw that girl at the mall, you'd be like, you are the prettiest girl at this mall. I mean, she used to be mall pretty. I feel like she's grown into, uh... Well, I, I, yes. I feel like she's more attractive now. I think that might just be because her soul isn't being whittled away by being in the Twilight movies anymore. Do you have to watch the Lindsay Ellis video about how everyone needs to apologize to Stephanie Meyer? No, I genuinely think being Bella Swan was bad for Kristen Stewart. Oh, yeah, well, it's how she met that dude, right? Yes, but also I think having, like, all these weird expectations projected onto her took a psychological toll that she's getting out from under now. Yeah, no one really seemed to come out of those movies unscathed. Yeah. I mean, I guess Taylor Lautner got a career out of them. Did he? He was in that abducted movie, and I haven't seen him since. My point when I started talking about Kristen Stewart being mall pretty is that this Henry is mall handsome. He's a guy that you see out in real life, and he is attractive enough. He's the prettiest guy in the room. He's the prettiest guy in the room, yes. He's not TV attractive. He's real world attractive, which I think works. Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right for Henry. Yeah. So, as we saw last week, a young girl, Lucy, shows up at his door and claims that he is her father. And he's like, no, no, don't think so. And she is going full Henry classic here. Yeah, she's like, wow, your house sucks. And Henry's like, um, that's because my book was just a tiny little book. It wasn't a bestseller. And she's like checking out his computer like well you're not about to write a bestseller now either so what's the plan and henry's like look if i'm gonna be in a misery situation i'm glad it's with someone small enough for me to just throw out a window but like dark game of thrones dark over here you probably have like parents who are looking for you and she's like uh well i have one parent who's looking for me and i have you my other parent who's not looking for me but luckily i'm looking for you okay so what's weird here is when it was henry back in season one of once upon a time she did in fact give a child up for adoption so she knew henry was in fact her biological son and in this instance henry has no such knowledge But as a guy, theoretically, he could have a kid out there. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. I'm just saying he should have a hair more doubt than he actually has when he's like, nope, you're not my daughter. Yeah, he is 100% certain that she is not his kid. So uh, he puts his laptop in the drawer so that she'll stop mocking his lack of being able to write. 
Yeah, and Lucy fills him in that, you know, fairy tale characters, cursed, just like his book. You know what? I'd be surprised if Lucy was the first kid that did this. Yeah, I I was I was thinking that too. Like this has to be something he deals with not necessarily on a regular basis, but I feel like it's come up a few times. Like that guy who went who uh found Piers Anthony's house. Right. There was that NPR story about him. Yeah. Like that. When we were watching this episode you pointed out that his book was a giant self-insert as i mean let's be fair most books are Hmm. so it would make sense that there would be a whole slew of people who really felt like they knew him on a personal level because of the way that they had interacted with his story yeah parasocial relationships exactly henry points out to lucy that unlike storybrooke which was a hidden town in maine hyperion heights is a city in Seattle, that he has driven through many times, so it's unlikely to be filled with fairy tale characters. Yes, because she's like, look, everything that happened in your book has happened again, except this time it's in Hyperion Heights, not in Storybrooke, not in an isolated town in Maine, and he's like, oh, sweetheart, that that's bullshit. People drive in and out of Hyperion Heights all the time. I mean, not all the time, because let's be clear, it is a super shitty neighborhood. Ah, but it's an up-and-coming neighborhood, because right now we're about to introduce what I believe is the real villain of season seven, and I'm kind of excited about that. I think the real villain of season seven is incredibly long speeches that never end. Okay, well, fair point. But the one I was talking about was gentrification. Yes. Lucy lets Henry know that... Her step-grandmother... Yes, her step-grandmother, Lady Tremaine, has been bringing in normies and driving up prices so that all of the fairy tale characters get pushed out of Hyperion Heights and separated. I don't totally love the whole mundane people need to be separate from fairy tale people thing. No, but you know who actually came in and pushed out all of the cool people in Seattle? Tech bros. Tech bros. Lady Tremaine is in bed with tech bros. I really want to like this season. There, there are some good seeds here. There, But this episode, by the way, super thick on exposition. Well, I mean, it has to be. It's, it's introducing us to essentially an entirely new story, except not really an entirely new story. And I just want to say something about that. Mm-hmm. We talked for the last six seasons about how stories repeat how things that had happened with one family it turned out it had happened for generation and generation and generation and that's a cool thing about once upon a time and it's a cool way of explaining fairy tale time but it doesn't mean i want to watch the story over and over again and i mean we already watched this story we already watched this story as the finale for two episodes but also i'm just so impatient at henry being under a curse Yes, that is the issue with this. It gets really frustrating having characters go through the same thing over and over and over again. And in season one, we were discovering new things along with Emma, even though we knew and she didn't that Henry was correct. Although, as I pointed out, we didn't entirely know that. But we know Lucy's right. We know Henry's just wandering around being wrong. And we know who half of these characters are. And we're just waiting for them to interact again. It's really kind of frustrating. You know what it is like? Waiting for the plot to catch up. It is waiting for the plot to catch up. That's exactly what it is, and that's annoying. It also really reminds me of the last season of Lost. I didn't make it to the last season of Lost. 
So in the last season of Lost, we were cutting between what was happening on the island and what we later found out, spoilers for Lost, I guess, what we later found out was purgatory. So it was all of the characters after death, like, refinding each other. And it was kind of a slog. So I'm just hoping this curse gets broken quickly and that we get back to stories. Yeah. Because the whole, you have to remember, oh, kid, fairy tales aren't a real thing. Like... We were so far past that! Henry pointed out how boring that was in the last couple episodes. The last couple episodes were Henry being like, been there, done that so many times before. And the last couple of episodes were smart enough to have basically Emma be the only person who was under the spell. Like, we had everyone in the Enchanted Forest watching her trying to get her memories back. Henry and Rumpel knew what was going on, so... Uh, so we cut from uh, Henry talking to Lucy to Lucy's mom, Cinderella, Cinderella. Uh, running down the street because she is late for her job at Lost Reference. Yeah, and Mr. Clux, speaking of Lost, she she works for the, the chicken place. We've also seen Mr. Clux uh, earlier in this show. Yes, Emma's foster family was eating a bucket of Mr. Clux chicken. And uh, Corella DeVille and Ursula took Rumple there. Oh, yes, they did. We've also seen characters eating Apollo bars, which is another lost reference. Mm. So just FYI, this show takes place in the same world as Lost. So that's fun. So uh, Cinderella gets to her job late to find her boss yelling at an employee. And she's like, hey, dude, maybe not be an asshole for 10 seconds. And he's like, you think I'm an asshole? And she's like, yeah, you're a fucking asshole. And he's like, well, you're a single mom who has no options. So apologize or get the fuck out of my restaurant. Capitalism is the goddamn worst. Yeah, it it, it really is. He's like, look, there are a million women like you, Cinderella. It's a weird meta thing where he's like, look, there are a million women with your story. Single mother, no options, no formal education, no special skills. You're either going to apologize to me and get to work, or you're going to get out. And she's like, fuck you, dude, and walks out. Yeah. So, Cinderella seems neat. Yeah, I mean, maybe don't yell at the guy who's your boss, but also, fuck that guy. Like... Yeah, he was being a dick to that one guy who dropped the buns on the floor, but also maybe don't drop buns on the floor. It was chicken. Ugh, yeah, don't drop chicken on the floor. Also, maybe if you're late, if you're coming in late, you shouldn't yell at your boss. Like, I do admire her, you know. Chutzpah? Chutzpah, but also, like, you're not exactly coming into the situation clean here. Yeah, yeah, it's the doctrine of unclean hands. So back in the past maybe mm. we're just we're just gonna go with past yeah oh god what if the fairy tale stuff is in the future okay let's let's not think about that too hard right now anyway we're just gonna stay back in the past for now but in fairy tale land okay in fairy tale land in fairy tale land henry is apologizing to cinderella for making her crash her cart but luckily she landed on some flowers so she's fine yeah, okay. They're her favorite flowers, too. Hyacinthias? Hyacinthias, I think. And uh, Cinderella's like, where the fuck were you going on that headless horse machine? Yes, she says headless horse a lot of times in this episode. Enough times that I feel like 
they're they're going for like a headless horse man thing here, mm. except it's the horse that's headless. He's the horseless head man. Okay, that implies that he's a man who has no horse but does have a head, which, which is, is accurate. accurate. Yeah. Anyway, Cinderella has to get to the ball. She has to get to the ball, and Henry has to get to a portal that is opening that will take him home. Yes. Apparently, it's sliders now, and instead of needing a magic bean, he just needs to be in the right place at the right time to go through the portal. Okay, that's fair, I guess. It's not, it's, it's no, it's no dumber than any of the other stuff that's happened with people traveling between realms. But he's got a little time before the portal opens. He's going to help her get to the ball. Yeah, he's going to take her on his motorcycle to the ball and then peace out of the portal. In Seattle, Curse Henry is discovering that his laptop was stolen, like, right from under his nose. I I mean, credit to Lucy. I don't know when she could have possibly taken it when he wouldn't have noticed but okay. Also written him a note on a post-it that she left there instead saying that she had the laptop and that if he wanted to get it back, he had to turn left at the troll bridge. And meet her at Ronnie's. Ronnie's. So we get a lot of shots of, I guess we're establishing the layout of this neighborhood. Sure. Okay, that's fine. So Henry pulls up to Ronnie's, which is a bar run by... Regina. Yeah, who is going by Ronnie now. So Henry pulls up to the approximate address. Well, it's Seattle. You got to do street parking. And he sees a girl on a roof and she just jumps off the roof right in front of him. Yeah, she lands on a dumpster first and then jumps down off the dumpster onto the street. So I guess it's okay. I don't know. That was still a really big jump. Yeah, she like parkoured the hell out of that she gives him a look and then just walks away and he's like what the fuck is this place but no time for that he needs to go into ronnie's which is a bar and get his laptop back so regina has kind of an accent she well she's not talking like regina she's cutting off words she she doesn't believe in g's anymore I, I did not notice that, but I guess it makes sense if she's if she's doing a voice that's less regal than her Regina voice. Yeah, she's doing a I've been running a bar for many years voice. Yeah, she's like a hardened barmaid now. She's Mo. I mean, it's not go crazy here. Ro. She tells Henry that everything in the bar is half off till midnight because at midnight she's selling the bar to the gentrifiers. At midnight it's becoming a pumpkin juice bar. Yeah. And he's like, what? And she's like, it'll make sense later. Don't worry about it. Okay, this is a pin I'm going to take out later. I'm just going to say this now, and then I don't know how much I'm going to talk about it later, but how come no one on television knows how property transactions work? This this makes no sense from a property transaction perspective. Remember, all property deals have to be done on the property at midnight. <laughs> okay, first of all, that is an old English thing called season, but mm. it's not a thing anymore. Okay. Uh, but it used to be a thing in England where property deals had to take place on the on the land itself. That's at not a midnight. thing. No, not at midnight. In fact, so not at midnight. Do you know when a piece of land technically changes hands from one person to another? At the end of the month. No, when the deed is recorded at the county, which I promise you does not happen at midnight. So Henry's like, yeah, okay, that's great. Uh, is my laptop here? And Ronnie's like, hey want to tell me your problems and henry's like what 
Henry's actually like, I just had a really weird day. You know what would be crazy? What if I walked in here and was like, hey, you're my mom. And Ronnie's like, hmm, that'd be weird. And the audience is all like, oh, dramatic irony, because we know that she is his mom. His only mom who came back for this episode. We'll see Emma next episode. It's weird that she wasn't saying goodbye to him when he was going off on his gap year, though. Well, she's married now, so she has no time for the kid she had with some dead guy. Back in fairy tale land, Henry is showing Cinderella how his motorcycle works. It's all very Hades and Zelina. Except he's not really teaching her how to drive it, I assume, because he's going to drive her to the ball. I assumed that he was showing it to her so that she would feel comfortable riding it, so that she wouldn't, like, be suspicious of him. Mm. But she asks him several times to show her how it works, exactly how it works, exactly what he's going to do to make it go so that she can punch him and and push him aside and steal his motorcycle because... Really, Henry, you're not genre savvy enough to see this coming now? Well, I mean, she is hanging really close to him and telling him how hot he is, so that's straight guy kryptonite. God, yeah, uh, David is his grandfather. Yeah, he he falls for the same shit that David did. He also has this weird meta moment where he explains the Cinderella... Is this mansplaining? He's explaining the Cinderella story to Cinderella. I think it is. Especially because we know that Cinderella does know a lot more about her story than Henry does. Although, to be fair, she acts like she doesn't. Yeah. Henry tells her about how she's going to find her prince and leave her shoe behind so that he can find her. And then Cinderella gets all cinema sins and is like, oh. um, do you know how many women have feet my size? And Henry's like, um, yeah, but we're in fake medieval world where all shoes are artisanally made, so there's not standard sizing. It was actually made to fit your foot. By literal magic. Like, people seem to ignore the fact that, again, these were shoes made by literal magic. Cinderella's shoes are the reverse of the sisterhood of the traveling pants pants. Yes, they only fit one person. Anyone else who tries to get their feet in there gets their bits cut off. Yeah, and their eyes gouged out by birds. Yeah. So Cinderella is riding off on Henry's motorcycle to the ball. I am so worried about her giant dress getting caught in the gears of that motorcycle, but that's okay. It's a fairy tale. I'm Yeah, I'm, she's not wearing a helmet. It's okay. She's got some flowers in her hair. Maybe she'll fall and the flowers will break her hair fall. Okay, so I was super distracted in the scene where we saw Henry Classic riding off on the motorcycle. Because they gave him the world's most giant helmet and it was kind of distracting that he was having his tearful goodbye to Regina while wearing this Marvin the Android. I didn't find it distracting. I thought it was just good street sense. I mean, it was. It looks like a really safe helmet, but it was so big. As Cinderella drives off, Henry looks at her all wistful, kind of like the way David looked at Bandit Snow, because stories repeat themselves, and apparently that means we have to watch every goddamn iteration over and over again. Yeah, there is a lot of parallels to the original, you know, Bandit Snow, Prince David thing here. Back in the real world, Cinderella comes home, and her roommate's like, so I heard you quit your job, and Cinderella's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the roommate's like, so you know we have to pay rent, right? Because capitalism? This isn't the uh, this isn't the musical or to a lesser degree movie rent. We actually need to pay rent here. Uh, and in this case, we, she has to pay rent to her stepmom? Her stepmom, who is, we forgot to mention, she's Mrs. Belfry. 
in this universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cinderella, whose name in the real world, by the way, is Jacinda. Jacinda. So Jacinda has an arrangement with her stepmom, like her stepmom has primary custody of Lucy. Yeah. And Jacinda can only have her for short periods of time, and apparently that short period of time is over, and now she has to return her, like... I don't know. This seems like a really weird arrangement. Okay, so it would make sense if Jacinda had been in jail for some reason Mm. and Lady Tremaine had gotten primary custody at that point and now Jacinda was working at getting custody back. That would make sense, although nothing leads us to believe that. I I think something later happens that suggests that that might be the case. Okay, well, the situation right now is that it's time for Lucy to go back to her step-grandmother. And Jacinda goes to make sure she's ready, but no, she's gone. She's gone, and she has done the trick where she's put pillows under her blanket to make it look like she's there. Bought you, like, what, four seconds? Well, no, it bought her longer because, like, if the roommate poked her head in the door to see if she was there, she thought she was there. Ah, yeah, I might actually lay this one at the feet of the roommate. I mean, maybe, but it doesn't seem like it's the roommate's job to look after the daughter. Hmm. So then we go to a Devil Wears Prada-esque scene. Victoria Belfry, Lady Tremaine, arrives in her Devil Wears Prada business. Yeah. Okay, so since we're talking about Devil Wears Prada, which is definitely what they're going for here, I want to point out how weird it is that her assistant slash her daughter in the flashback looks so much like... Like Anne Hathaway? It is weirdly distracting. Like, I mean, good on this actress for looking like Anne Hathaway, but... I mean, who doesn't want to look like Anne Hathaway? No one. But she's playing the Emily Blunt role. It's true. It is more of the Emily Blunt role. And in The Enchanted Forest, she's the Lucy Punch role. But again, I thinking about Ella Enchanted, again, you've got uh, Anne Hathaway. Mm. So... I mean, Lucy Punch has played the evil stepsister in so much stuff. Sure. But my point is, it's bizarre that they have an Anne Hathaway-looking actress playing Ivy Belfry slash Drizella. So Victoria Belfry wants to know, Lady Tremaine, wants to know where Lucy is. And she's like, I don't have time for this. I'm sick of you all being failures. Get me my granddaughter. What she actually says is, how is it that I have two assistants and no one knows where my granddaughter is? Which implies to me that there is a second ugly stepsister slash assistant, but we don't see her in this episode. I was assuming it was that guy that Anne Hathaway lookalike told to take the tie off. I mean, that makes sense, too. I just wanted to bring up that we only see one ugly stepsister in this story. Hmm. I mean, we know this is a different Lady Tremaine. (laughs) Yeah. Because I wonder if every Lady Tremaine loses one daughter. Because, you know, the Lady Tremaine we dealt with before had one daughter who ran away to be one of the main characters in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Well, you know, most modern Cinderella stories have one of the ugly stepsisters actually be a good person who's just kind of been beaten down by the abuse and some of the stories actually have that stepdaughter do a face turn and help cinderella at the end even the disney cinderella sequels had one of the stepdaughters do the face turn i wonder if that's not just a fundamental part of the cinderella story 
in our cultural consciousness, even though it's not from the original text. Well, I mean, it's so divorced from the original text at this point. I know. I'm just saying every adaptation, we seem to want to include that. Mm. We as a culture. Well, I think it's we as a culture realize that, you know. Abuse is complicated. Abuse is complicated. Yeah. Back in fairy tale land, Lady Tremaine is gloating over Cinderella's fairy godmother, who she has tied to a couch, tied on a couch. Yeah, she's got shackles on, though, like full on shackles, which means that somewhere in the house, Lady Tremaine has full on shackles. She cut off Cinderella's fairy godmother's wings and then chained her up. And yeah, it's fucking dark, right? It's incredibly dark. And Drizella comes in, the Anne Hathaway look like, and she's like, a f- ooh, a fairy wand, can I have it? And Lady Tremaine is like, no, no, no. Magic isn't power because someone can cut off your wings and take your magic away. Fear is power. Look how afraid everyone is of me. And then she uses the wand to... uh disintegrate the fairy and she's like okay maybe this once will use magic she actually uses bippity boppity boo to disintegrate her yes i do like the idea that this is a character who isn't dangerous because of how magically powerful she is it's a nice swerve to make after the last six seasons where we had rumpelstiltskin just spending all of his time obtaining as much magical power as possible it's nice to have a villain who isn't just dangerous because they have the most magical power it's nice to have a villain that actually has a different approach remember before we were talking about how there was the difference between just magic that was powered by emotions and magic that was powered by almost a coldness and the way that rumple seemed to build these methodical plans Mm -hmm. and then that kind of just fell away for sucking up all of the power of the dark ones It's nice that they've kind of given themselves that edit, right? Lady Tremaine does not have magic. She has methodical plans that she will be the best at doing, apparently. Of course, we're going to assume that there's some magic here too, since apparently a dark curse went off at some point. And also she can still use the wand, so... Yeah. So, meanwhile, uh, back in the real world... Lucy is at this, like, abandoned lot, which used to be a garden but now it's just a crummy falling down lot that's going to be turned into condos but it does still have like a well in the middle of it Mm. god remember the magic well yes i do remember the magic well i think this show wants us to remember the magic well because lucy is at this well getting ready to make a wish she found a quarter and she took that as a sign that that she should make a wish in this well for the garden to come back and her mom's like if you throw a quarter in there All you're going to be doing is wasting a quarter. And Lucy's like, no, the wish has value to me. Hope is an important commodity, especially in fairy tales. Jacinda looks around and is like, well, the the garden didn't come back to life. And Lucy's like, oh my god, mom, have you not watched any of the other seasons? You have to give magic a second to start working. Yeah, also, like, nothing happens instantly. Come on. Right. She didn't mean, like, literally it would be magic, Jacinda. But Lucy gives uh, Lucy gives Jacinda the laptop to bring to Henry, which she does. Henry, who is still sitting in Ronnie's bar. Yeah, okay, so just real quick from Henry's point of view. He gets the note to go to Ronnie's. He goes to Ronnie's. Ronnie's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything. Have a drink. And so he just sits there drinking, assuming someone at some point will show up and give him the laptop. And then that happens. 
I mean, what else was he going to do, though? Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Jacinda shows up and brings him the laptop. And he's like, so your daughter says that I'm probably her dad. And I was like, I thought, honestly, probably not. But maybe because, again, I'm a dude and I have a fair amount of sex. But I now I know that I'm not her dad because I would remember having sex with you. And she's Smooth. like, yeah, smooth operator, this new Henry. And Jacinda's like, oh, oh, and then Ronnie brings them both some whiskey because she definitely wants to get her son loosened up and laid. Regina wants so many grandkids. We cut back to Cinderella arriving at the ball, uh, unmotorcycled to death. That's good. I'm glad that she did not get motorcycled to death. There are fireworks going off because Disney does love its fireworks. By the way, Cinderella is in great condition considering the fact that she was in an accident and then drove there on a motorcycle. Like, that dress is looking great. Right. Also, I want to say that we see Tiana at this ball. That's her roommate, right? Oh my god, I didn't realize that was her roommate! Her roommate is Tiana! Yeah. Because we see her roommate standing in the princess in the frog dress and a waiter offers her frog's legs and she's like, Haha, no. What a weird thing to have as a past hors d'oeuvre, by the way. I have to think that somebody did that to the waiter as a practical joke to make him offer it to Tiana. Was someone trying to get him beheaded? I'm just saying, someone was being very mean to that waiter. Yes. I'm, I'm, so, I'm just so excited now that that was her roommate because I didn't notice that when we were watching it. And I'm excited at the idea that Tiana will be an actual character instead of a one-off joke. Which would be nice. Again, we haven't seen enough of the show to know if her roommate ever actually does anything. I will say that this postscript season, so far from what we've seen and from what we know, is a lot better about diversity than the last six seasons. Yeah, I mean, honest to God, just in this episode alone, Tiana, Cinderella, Lucy, I mean, a lot of these people are related, but still. So, uh, Henry's like, hey, I managed to arrive right after you did to this ball and get in for some reason. And Cinderella's like, wait, I was riding a motorcycle. How'd you get here so fast? And he's like, don't worry about it. Okay, well, like, I'm worried about how he got there so fast, definitely. But don't worry about how he got in, because we don't know what Henry's been doing in the Enchanted Forest. Maybe he has total, like, nobility credentials in this world. Well, this isn't the Enchanted Forest. You're right. I'm saying the Enchanted Forest in this fairy tale land, but it is a different realm. We should call it something else. We should. They called it a new world, which is weird and interesting i i'm not saying we should call it that i'm just saying that's we should decide right now what we're gonna call it though are we just gonna call it fairy tale land yeah okay so henry's like hey let's dance and cinderella's like okay and he's like so i noticed that you didn't just take my motorcycle you also took my stabbing knife what you planning on doing with that he pulls it on the back of her dress like wonder woman yeah and she's like uh, I'm gonna stab the prince. He, you know, killed my dad and fucked up my whole life. He's the reason I had to Cinderella it up. So I'm going to go Stabbington Bear on him. And Henry's like, could you not do it with the knife that has my name on it? Right. I mean, not his name, just his initial. So it could be any HM that killed this prince. Could be... Can't think of one, can you? Horatio... Mornblower. Mornblower. Henry puts a, a Hysanthia flower in her hair because 
that's his deal now. That's their thing now. And he's like, wait, no, don't go stab him. Revenge never solves anything as Cinderella runs off to go stab the prince. But he is too late. And also he has been drugged. Yep. Someone put something in his drink. He falls down. And just before he passes out, he sees the grinning face of that girl we saw on the roof of Ronnie's. Yeah, that girl who jumped off the building. Henry wakes up in Evil Dead. Yeah, it's a real S&M nature scene. Yeah, he's all tied to a tree by vines, like living vines. And the girl is there giving him a very creepy look and also wearing a hood. So like for extra creep factor. Hmm. Then we cut back to Seattle where she has gone to report to someone, someone named Weaver. Who's working off of a rooftop. Yeah, he's got, like, he's in one of those sheds that they put on the rooftop. He's drowning a guy. Yes, or waterboarding, at least. Right. And he looks up and, oh my god, it's Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, she's like, I have to tell you, someone news in town. Which, not town, in neighborhood, but fine. Which is weird, because it's not a town, it's a neighborhood, so people are probably crossing in and out all the time. Yeah. Does she do this every time somebody is driving, like, from Capitol Hill and needs to stop and get gas? Like, I remember when I got lost trying to find the hotel in Seattle, when I've been digging up all of those alarms. Apparently. For Emerald City. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Back in Ronnie's. Henry and Jacinda are getting drunk and Jacinda's talking about how Lucy was the result of a one night stand. So don't worry, that guy won't come back again. We don't need to worry about it. Mm, mm. I'm sure that's true. So Henry's all like, I know I'm not the author because my memory's gone, but I am an author. So let me tell you that what you have to do is change your story. And she's like, well, where I want my story to go is to a little house on this island in Seattle Bay. Mm. I'm like, I mean, wouldn't that be really expensive? Yeah, that would be super expensive. Although, let's be fair, everywhere in Seattle is expensive. That's the point of this season, right? Gentrification. Yeah. Victoria shows up and she's like, getting drunk in the middle of the afternoon, isn't that how we got Lucy in the first place? Which, damn. Seriously. Damn. And Jacinda's like, Back off. I was fixing. My kid stole this guy's computer. And uh, and Victoria's like, you're not doing a good job making me think that you should have custody of Lucy. In fact, as of tomorrow, I'm taking custody of Lucy back. You obviously can't control her. You're obviously having problems with drinking again. That's not how custody arrangements work. They're like worked out through a court. And Regina, Ronnie, is like, Get out of my bar. You don't own this until midnight. Oh my, are you doing this on purpose to make me upset about how that's not how anything works? Like, that's not how custody works? That's not how property transactions work? Whatever. Whatever. But Victoria ignores her and goes over to Henry, and she's like, Hey, I know that you're, I don't know, some creepy weirdo who writes, I don't know, weird shit for children, but... Whatever you're looking for, you're not going to find it in my stepdaughter's vagina. So why don't you leave town? She's like, hey, I know that you were literally just coming back to get your laptop and you were on your way out, but I'm going to make weird veiled threats until you feel like you have to investigate what's happening. Also, also, I don't think the book was for children. I think Once Upon a Time was, was for adults. Well, she says fairy tale. Yeah, but I think it was like Wicked. 
I know, but the way she was talking to him. Oh, no, I was I was actually having this conversation with you because I thought uh, maybe you thought it was like a YA novel. No, I mean, honestly, I mean, I could see it as a YA novel. I mean, it could have been a YA novel, but I think it was like Wicked. I don't think anything that happened in Once Upon a Time is Gregory Maguire-esque enough for it not to be a YA novel. Especially the werewolf stuff. Yeah. That must have been a weird chapter. The I, werewolf stuff must have been this chapter where when you get to it, you're like, is, is this going somewhere? Are these going to become main characters? What is happening here? And then he never picks it back up. I mean, I'm assuming that's why it didn't sell very well. You know what Henry needs to do? He needs to go back through our, when we were doing the segment, what this show should be instead. And all of those, what this show should be instead, should be his sophomore book. Like an epic about the dwarves. You know what it reminds me of in a weird way? What? You saw more of it than I did. Remember in the first episode of Friends from College, when they go on, when the author guy goes on that giant anti-YA novel tear. Yes. That's yes. what that's what you, the speech you, reminds me of. You are just saying things to make me angry this episode, aren't you? You made it further into that show than I did. Uh, Wait, it, okay, I made it an episode and a half. You made it one episode. Let's not go crazy here. It was so bad. I, th- I mean, honest to God, they deserve credit for taking a show with that many talented actors and making it that bad. So many actors that I thought I would follow anywhere, and they just tested that. I mean, I guess that's what they were going for. They didn't want them to be characters that you liked or wanted to spend time with, and they succeeded above and beyond. <laughs> I guess so. You know, though, I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about Henry's book. I, I think it is a Wicked-style book that deconstructs fairy tales, but... What I really want it to be, especially if he wants to be a successful author, is Terry Pratchett-style Discworld interconnecting novels exploring this world that has been created and then not explored at all. That would be neat. But Henry leaves and his car is gone. Someone has stolen his car. It's like season one, except instead of getting drunk and crashing the car, he got drunk and got his car stolen. Also, also... The bar is literally right next door to a police station. So someone stole a car from in front of a police station. So I do love Henry comes in and he's like, uh, my car has been stolen from literally right out front of this police station and the police officer. And there's like, wow, sucks for you, which is basically every experience I've ever had with the police. Yeah. Whenever people are like, what would you do without the police? What like what happens after you've been robbed? I'm like, have you ever been robbed? Because you call the police and they're like, yeah, there's nothing we're going to be able to do. And then they leave. That's what happens. I mean, they give you a report that you can give to your insurance. Yes, that is something they do. But like. Yeah, it's your insurance who makes you whole again. But the. Y'all, y'all, if you take anything from this podcast at all. It should be, if you rent, get renter's insurance. Mm. Oh, definitely. Like, I wish I had renter's insurance when my first apartment in Portland burned down. Oh. That would have been good. Yeah. Well, I got rid of, see, I was lucky. A, because I didn't die in the fire. And B, (laughs) and B, because I had just got rid of all of my stuff to move across country. And I hadn't got around to getting enough new stuff yet for it to be a big loss when everything burned down. I guess that's good. Yeah. Okay, I guess that's the best possible scenario where you don't have renter's insurance. Get renter's insurance. Yes. So, the bad cop who's like, 
sucks for you, gets pushed aside by a good cop who, <gasps> it's Captain Hook. Yep, Hook's a cop in Seattle. And he's like, I'm going to help you find your car because I'm the one good cop in Seattle. Oh my god. All right, in fairytale land, Henry's still all treed up. And the girl who has him captured is like, hey, I'm Alice. And Henry's like, from Alice in Wonderland? And she's like, I've done other stuff. I'm Alice from lots of places. I'm not defined by one land of wonder. She does have the drink me vial hanging from her belt. Mm. Which I know makes you grow and shrink, but also I think was what she poisoned him with. Uh, uh, seriously, Alice would make a really good uh, size-shifting superhero. Sure, like Ant-Man and Wasp? Yeah. Ant-Man and Wasp and Alice in Wonderland? Like, if you were going to go for a female Disney character Avengers thing. Yeah, I would definitely, yeah, that works for me. I mean, it would honestly probably pretty much just be... Mulan, Alice, and Elsa, right? And Anna. Anna and Elsa Anna. as a team. Anna and Elsa as a team. Yeah, because Anna has the super strength. So, Alice is like, Look. Wait, did you say Rapunzel? Rapunzel's got healing hair. Oh, she does, you're right. So, Alice does something that makes the vines drop Henry, and she's like, Look, you need to leave. You just need to get out of here. Stuff is going down that you need to not be here for. And Henry's like, I was leaving before you drugged me. Alice lets him know that this isn't his story. Like, this isn't the story he's the author of. This is some other story. So it's way more dangerous for him. If you die in the story, you die in real life here. Yes, she's like, when you're outside of your own story, you're vulnerable in ways that you weren't inside your own story. Back in Seattle, Lucy is planting a bunch of seeds at the community garden because, yeah, Lucy, that is the way you fucking make wishes happen. You go ahead and make your wish, and then you go out there and you make it fucking happen. I feel like it's a good thing that we have Tiana here. Because Tiana's another person who goes out and makes her wishes fucking happen? Yeah, I mean, The Princess and the Frog is a really underrated Disney movie because it's one of the few that's like, A, you need to have hope, you need to have faith, these are important things to have, but you also need to work for your dreams. It's one of the few Disney properties that actually emphasizes both, like, without hope and dream, without hope and faith, dreams don't start, and without hard work, they're never achieved. Yeah, that makes sense, I'm... Also, marrying royalty will make them easier. Right, yeah, you know what makes, you know what makes dreams a lot easier? Money. I don't remember any of the songs in Princess and the Frog being great, other than... Friends from the Other Side. Yes. And I think that's the reason it didn't have as much staying power. Mm. Yeah, I guess it didn't really have its Let It Go or any of the Renaissance ones. Yeah, I think there was a period there after the Disney Renaissance where we had a bunch of movies that just had subpar songs and that really hurt it mm. until frozen i know that it became popular so it's you know trendy to talk about how bad it is but it's a solid soundtrack yeah it's a really good soundtrack they just made the mistake of ending on fixer upper i like fixer upper but you're right it's a bad song to be the last song of the show it's a good villain song though it is a good villain song 
I mean, it's so clear that the rock trolls are the villains. I don't know how... It's one. It's one of those things where it's a theory that is so obviously true that I can't help but think of it as being canon. I really hope that uh, the music they're using for the trailers for Frozen Two is available to buy at some point, just because I love the instrumental thing that came out with the new, or I guess it's not really new at this point, but with the Frozen Two teaser trailer. Uh huh. It had such a strong instrumental. I'm like. I really hope they end up releasing that officially somehow. It'll probably be on the extended CD. I bought the extended CD of Frozen. Yeah. And I bought the extended CD of Moana. Another one with strong musical numbers. Are are you being harsh on Tangled here? Yeah, Tangled's just not that strong. Which is a shame because I actually really like I really like that movie, but the musical numbers are not as good except for the Mother Knows Best. No, that one's okay. No, it's the dream one. It's cute. It's the comedy song. It's the comedy song of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Your comedy song should not be your strongest song. And I think Entangled it is. Personally, I think the Her Leaving the Tower song is the strongest song in the... I don't even really remember that one. We should watch Tangled again. I'm down for watching Tangled again. I think that in any Disney movie, the villain song needs to be the strongest song. The villain song, then the I want song, then everything else. Yeah. If you can nail those two songs, everything else is fine. I mean, in Moana, I know I know Your Welcome is the actual villain song, but- And it's amazing. And the I want song is How Far I'll Go, which is also amazing. But Shiny is set up as the traditional villain song of Moana. Also amazing. Yeah. Like, all of the songs in Moana are great, but it also has strong villain songs, strong I want song. Frozen, the villain song there is Let It Go, strong villain song, and the I Want song is also Let It Go. Let It Go is the villain song and the I Want song. Oh, interesting. I think Anna's song when they're preparing for the party is the I Want song. Mm, For the first time in forever. Yes, I think for the first time in forever is the I Want song. Mm. Also, you could think of Love is an Open Door as another villain song. Yes, Love is an Open Door is the villain song. Just like how You're Welcome is the actual villain song of Moana. It's not the obvious villain song. It's the secret villain song. Or arguably, again, Fixer Upper. The secret villain song of Frozen. Okay, I just I just figured it out. I figured it out. Frozen has two secret villain songs? No. I mean, yes. But the way to have a really strong soundtrack for a Disney movie is to write every song as though it's a villain song. So Henry finds Lucy in the community garden and is like, hey, I'm leaving because you know I'm not your dad, right? You just read my book and then went a little weird about it. And she's all like, well, Emma didn't believe either, so you're just recreating the book. And he's like, oh shit, I've written myself into a fucking corner. Well, no. He's like, you're not my daughter. I know you're not my daughter. And she's like, how do you know? And he's like, Because I have a family, I had a family, I had a wife, and I had a child, and they burned to death. There was a fire, and they both burned to death. Fucking dark, dark curse memories. Yeah, like, I'm really hoping these are curse memories and not something Lady Tremaine actually did. I mean, I'm assuming they're curse memories. Which would make sense. He has a wife and daughter that he no longer has. And that would be curse memories that would stop him from feeling comfortable with, you know, dating Jacinda and maybe having true love with her again. 
because he would feel like it would be dishonoring his family to be basically stepping into a new family. Yes, yes. Uh, Lucy tells him that he can't keep waiting for everything to be perfect. That's why he can't write his second fucking book, which is good advice. Good advice, Lucy. Like, from a writerly perspective. Like, so Henry walks off, and then Jacinda immediately drives up in Henry's car, and she's like, Hey, we're gonna go drive to that island and live happily ever after there. And Lucy's like, this seems like such a bad idea. And it is a bad idea, because they get about three blocks and the car breaks down. Right? Because it's like the curse again, right? You can't get out. Lucy even says that. She says, it's not the car, it's the curse. We can't leave. And Jacinda says, well, this isn't Storybrooke. We can just walk. Like, the bridge is literally right there. Let's just walk. Let's just get on the ferry and go to the island and done. So, in fairy tale land, Cinderella is dancing with the prince when she's like, do you recognize me? And he's like, I recognize you as the most beautiful woman in the world. And she's like, you don't re- you don't recognize me as the woman who's about to stab you? Yeah, she pulls out the dagger and then she pulls back to stab him in the heart and sees Henry's initials and is like, oh, I can't do it. Even though you did something bad to my dad that ended with him dying probably and that's why I had to become Cinderella, I can't bring myself to kill you. And the prince, by the way, seems not as freaked out by this as he should be. He's like, thank you for not stabbing me. I I really appreciate it. Thank you for not stabbing me. (laughs) Thank you for not stabbing me. You know who he can't say thank you to? Uh, Lady Tremaine. Yeah, because she comes up behind him and just stabs him in the back. And it's like, Cinderella, you can't fucking do anything right, can you? You never finish any of your chores. So this makes me think that this is really like a memento situation where Lady Tremaine wanted the prince dead, so she let Cinderella believe that he killed her family, but that he's not the one who killed her family. Yeah, I can see that. In fact, Lady Tremaine says that the prince did not fall in love with Drizella, but his younger brother did. So now his younger brother will become king and Drizella will become queen. Just Game of Thrones up in here. Although this dude, all apparently responsible for whatever happened to Cinderella's dad, really seemed kind of low-key about... Well, that's I don't think he was responsible for whatever happened to her dad. Yeah. So Lady Tremaine's like, well... I was planning for you to take the fall for his murder, and, you know, just because you didn't end up stabbing him doesn't mean you still can't. Oh no! The prince has been murdered by Cinderella! Someone come in here and arrest her! Cinderella runs off and runs right into Henry, who's like, Oh, I'll take you through the portal to my world, and then you can be safe there! And then... The guards start chasing after Cinderella, and he grabs a sword and starts fighting them off. And then Cinderella grabs a sword, and she is a badass with a sword. Yeah, they do a little back-to-back battle coupling. and Like, in Once Upon a Time, that's how you know a couple is meant to be. If they can fight in sync. And what I like about this, I... It is pretty vague in a lot of the shots, but... It does appear that Henry did not kill any of the guards he was fighting. I like that that's what you were paying attention to, and and that does seem to be the case. What I was paying attention to is that Drizella is watching all this with kind of, like, awe on her face. Hmm. Yeah, she seems pretty into it. Yeah. She is mega hot for Henry. She is. For a second, I thought maybe Drizella was the first wife before I realized that, no, Drizella is the assistant. Yeah. 
Henry tells Cinderella to go meet them at the place where they first met, and he'll get there and they'll go through the portal together. Back in Seattle, uh, Henry is talking to Police Hook about his missing car, and Hook's like, look, we never actually find cars. Like, your best bet is to wander around the neighborhood looking for the car, and then just call us if you find it. Yep. And then Victoria comes in and is like, Officer Rogers, my granddaughter is missing. Also, Henry, what are you still doing here? And Henry's like, I'm trying to fucking leave. Like, seriously, I want to get out of here. And she's like, mm, see that you do because nasty things can happen to boys who play where they're not supposed to. And he's like, are you trying to get me to stay by being as suspicious as possible? He literally just wants to go. Victoria does tell him that she loves Jacinda and Lucy. Shades of Regina saying that she does, in fact, love Henry. Hmm. Although I super do not believe her. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, Jacinda doesn't have the heart of the truest believer. <laughs> it's true. Jacinda's not going to believe her way into having a stepmother who loves her. Yes, she tells Henry, you might think that I'm cruel, but believe me, I'm doing what's best for my daughter and granddaughter. She calls them her girls. Mm. So she wants to know if Henry has any idea where they might be. And then Henry totally rats them out. God damn it, Henry Mills. Didn't Emma teach you what happens to snitches? They move to Vancouver and apparently live happy lives without you until they show up when they're turning into wooden boys. Yes, that is what happens to snitches. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lucy does not want to walk across the bridge to the island because she's like, look, I can't abandon all of the people who are trapped here. They need me to save them. And Jacinda's like, I know that you think that, and I know this is important to you, but you do have to prioritize yourself first. You can't help other people until you are safe. She also tells her that she knows that she has a lot of belief and that that's a good thing, but that she needs to ground it. But Lucy tells Jacinda that she believes in her, which is very sweet. Yes. And then Victoria shows up. Victor- or rather, Victor- or rather Ivy, Drizella, Victoria's assistant. And because- Hathaway. This is so confusing already. Everyone has so many names. Not Anne Hathaway, Victoria's assistant, shows up because Victoria loves her girls so much, but not enough to actually get in a police car. Turns out that Henry did rat them out and and tell the police and Victoria that Jacinda and Lucy were probably going to try to go to the island. And that was correct. So Ivy takes the Once Upon a Time book out of Lucy's backpack and gives it to Hook and tells him to burn it or destroy it or give it to Goodwill or something. Or put it in evidence. Evidence of what, Ivy? But Hook takes the book and instead of burning it or throwing it away, he starts to flip through it. Conspicuously, we see when he's holding the book, we see one of his hands and his other hand is wearing a glove. Right, so we don't know what's going on with that hand. Mm. But yes, one hand stays hidden for now. Hook is flipping through the book and... He lands on a picture of Emma. A not as poorly as season one photoshopped picture of Emma. Still, it's still not great. But it's much better than season one. Yes. So 
Henry apologizes to Jacinda for ratting her out. And she's like, really? Like, you really fucked me over. And he's like, I don't want to be here. Like, your stepmom seems like she's trying to do good by you. I know it can be hard to accept help from people you don't like, but it seems like you need it. I mean, he's making the good point that this is not his drama. He didn't ask her daughter to show up and steal his laptop. I mean, that's not the case because it's his daughter and his wife. But from what he knows at this point in time, this is not his responsibility. Yeah. Although, seriously, never call the police on anyone. Yes. Back in fairytale land, Henry shows up at the place where he met Cinderella and his cell phone alarm goes off because it's time for the portal to open. How on earth has he been charging that? That is a great question. Maybe it magically charges. Hmm. But he, but there is no Cinderella. Cinderella has not shown up to go with him to the land without magic. But what she has done is left a shoe. Ah. Uh. Yeah. So her. So he decides to not take the portal and instead find her and help her with her murder quest it's probably something different now that the prince is dead yeah yeah true and anyway he'll find another portal it's fine it's fine but as for right now he has to find uh oh god as for right now he is starting operation glass slipper henry you are 40 years old right now stop with the operation names so hook goes back to the police station and the worst cop ever is like hey dude you made detective good for you and you must have a fairy godmother looking out for you he says that and then he's like mrs belfry has ms belfry has taken a liking to you so i guess she owns the police Eh. and he's got a shiny new partner now that he's detective a shiny new partner who is telling a group of cops a story about breaking somebody's finger anyway yep yep it's a bad cop, and that bad cop is Rumpelstiltskin. A.K.A. Weaver. Okay, great. I totally forgot Robert Carlyle came back for this season. Yeah, he did. Like, I know we saw him earlier, but I thought he was one of the people who got out. So we cut from that to Ronnie, Regina, whatever, Tapping her pen over the contract to sign over the bar. Okay, it's not a contract to sign over the bar. It's a purchase and sale agreement, okay? The bar doesn't just become Victoria's when you sign the purchase and sale agreement. There are a lot of steps between that and the bar transferring to her hands. Steps which, on a commercial property, can take anywhere between two weeks and five years. So... The idea that the bar was going to stop being hers at midnight is annoying. So. Also, why do you have to sign it at midnight? What kind of fucking witchcraft is this, Lady Tremaine? So Ronnie's about to sign it, but then she doesn't because of how she came into the bar earlier and yelled at Jacinda. Well, she said you walked into this bar like you owned it, and I thought, ooh, gross, I don't want her to own it. So Ronnie launches this really long speech about how 
this is her neighborhood and it's seen better days, but it doesn't deserve to be taken over by someone who doesn't know the people and care about the people. And this is a community. And here's the problem with this speech. It goes on for half past forever. It goes on forever. And also it's so meaningless. It's just like ASMR words spilling over you. It's over a montage that could literally have been done with music. Like, we don't need all of these words. And the fact that we're asked to listen to the words, your brain wants to give them meaning. But there is no meaning. The meaning was conveyed ten sentences ago. They should have just done this montage over music. Yeah, I don't get it. Because she does take really long pauses when the action of the scene is going on so for example one of the little vignettes that plays as her speech is going is henry going to drop off flowers at his wife and child's grave except the graveyard's a parking lot now and he asks some passerby and she says it's always been a parking lot also the flowers are hyacinthas hyacinthias mm-hmm. so cinderella's favorite flower so that makes me think there was not another wife and child yeah we also see jacinda going to get her job back at mr cluck's which her boss, I guess, isn't that big of a jerk because he just gives it back to her. I mean, I guess he knows that she was having a rough day. Yeah. And the other scene is Hook looking at a weird picture of Emma in the book where she has witch hair. Well, her hair is blowing in the wind. I think she's coming through a portal, but a portal that looks like the ones we've seen in this episode, which we didn't talk about but the portals in this episode are like... Rings of fire? Yeah. They're not the pools of goo that they have been in past season. They're rings of fire. Yeah. So just something to note. Even the one made by the magic bean, which is... We've seen magic bean portals before and they didn't look like that. Yes. At Mr. Cluck's, Jacinda is cleaning up and she finds a quarter on the ground. So she thinks that it's a sign, just like it was a sign when Lucy found a quarter. Or like an Avenue Q. <laughs> and she goes to the community garden to throw it into the well. And when she does, a flower springs up. Yes, a Hyacinthia. Also, Henry writes the first sentence of his new story. Yes, he comes up with his poetic opening line. Once upon a time. Good job, Henry. Digging real deep there. Really, uh, massaging the old mind grapes, huh? I mean, I guess I guess the point was, the point that Lucy made when she was talking to him was that it doesn't have to be good, it just has to be, so he took that to heart. Which, yeah, fair. Meanwhile, Regina is wrapping up her incredibly long speech. I may have forgotten what I was talking about several minutes ago, but as long as I keep talking in this authoritarian voice, you will applaud everything I say. Thank you. Also, she rips up the purchase and sale agreement. Lady Tremaine tells her that she will regret it. And she says, yeah, I don't regret shit, which is false. Like, she does regret things. But, oh, it's ironic because we know that Regina regrets so, so much. I don't know. When Peter Pan had her strapped to that regretting tree that sucked out your life, the more stuff you regretted, she's like, I don't regret anything I did because it got me my fucking kid. Oh, I forgot about that. I wonder if this was actually meant to reference that. Maybe. Probably not. Yeah. So that was really, really rough. Well, it was... Okay, so pilots are always rough because you have to put so much exposition out there. 
This is basically a new show. So this was basically a new pilot, but it was extra frustrating because we know half of these characters and we just want to see what they're getting up to. And instead, we're being force fed a bunch of exposition that honestly, we, we could have inferred a lot of this. Yeah. And God, I hope they stop doing the really long speech thing. We know that they don't in the first three episodes. Because, my God, it's it's impossible to it's impossible to pay attention during it. You, your mind just starts slipping off the words. It makes the last 10 minutes feel like the last 10 hours. It really does. So this is a kind of rough beginning to the new season. But you know what? We should give it a chance because beginnings are often rough. I mean, we saw that, right? Poetic opening line goes here. <laughs> yes. Okay, so Fashion Corner, there wasn't anything that really stood out to me. I did like this take on the Cinderella dress. It's a little kind of feathery. Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of tulle in the skirt. I do love a big full tulle skirt. What struck me was the fact that when we open with Regina sending off Henry Classic, uh, she's wearing soft purples. Oh, so it's kind of still her color, but a softer softened. Tape. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's nice. I unfortunately have a negative fashion corner. Is it about the evil stepmother's hair? Cause... No, it's about her shoes. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of attention being paid to the red pumps. She's wearing red shoes with tassels on the back. And you're supposed to be like, oh, who is this badass? But no, it's too, it's too much. It's a lot of look. Hey, she killed a Shriner for those shoes. <laughs> Apparently. Let's do recommendations. All right, so recommendations. I Ah, think you had something right off the bat. I do have a recommendation. My recommendation is Where Did You Go, Bernadette? Yes. Wow. Yes. Where Did You Go, Bernadette? Which is an amazing novel. It does not have any magical elements to it. It is just about a woman who moves to Seattle and hates it. I mean, the other stuff happens as well, obviously. But that's why I'm recommending it. See, my recommendation was the second act of into the woods yes once upon a time later which makes sense because the second act of into the woods is what happens after everyone gets their happy endings yeah henry opens this episode by telling us that everyone got their happy endings so yeah this postscript season is the second act of into the woods except not as good yes except emphatically not as good so there are things i liked about this episode I think I'm interested in this version of Alice. I, I am too. I am, I'm into this Alice. Honestly, the character I'm wanting to see more from is Drizella. Yeah. Honestly, I do want to see more of the Cinderella backstory for Cinderella here. I want them to focus on the new stories, not like this is the curse again. Because whatever's going on with Alice seems interesting. Whatever's going on with the new characters seems interesting. It shouldn't be bogged down by this plot we've seen so many times on the show before. Honestly, I don't want to get too far ahead of things that have leaked into our consciousness, even as we try to avoid spoilers about season seven. But... Yeah, it turns out it's really hard to look up anything about this season without getting major spoilers. Right. But I would be really interested if it turned out that, as you said, the fairy tale land stuff was somehow a flash forward. And maybe Henry is not under a curse. 
Well, except he is because he doesn't remember Emma. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to get too far into guessing things that the show isn't providing to us, but I am interested in the story that was introduced in the flat. We'll go ahead and call it flashback. I am interested in the flashback story. Yes. I am. I am down with uh, seeking revenge and being on the lamb with Cinderella. That's that's a good that's a good log line that gets me that gets me going. Again, the most interesting parts of the story are the parts we haven't seen before. It's just they're stuck in the parts we've seen so many times before. I have no interest in Hook and Rumple continuing their weird revenge thing in this land. And this is going to sound bad because I love her so much, but I honestly wish they hadn't got Regina back for this season. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I just, I don't. Uh, maybe it'll get more interesting later, but the Ronnie thing, it feels unearned. Also, she spent so long trying to get a happy ending, and then we got it. I know this isn't the same Regina, but my point is, even Wish First Regina, her story was done. Like, I don't want to see a bunch more stuff. Yeah. Like, we should be focusing on the new characters here. And Henry. Well, Henry... Henry's story wasn't done. Henry was a child. His parents' story was done. This is Once Upon a Time, The Next Generation. Yeah. Like, Star Trek The Next Generation, they brought in Spock, they brought in Scotty, but, you know, you didn't have, like, old Kirk hanging out at the bar talking about war stories all day. You went on with the new stories. So I think that'll about do it for this episode. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, and Rosa. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Uh, if you'd like to contact us in other ways, uh, we can be reached at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or ilovetvzines on Twitter. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Welcome to Hyperion Heights. <laughs>